Okay, good morning. Today we'll be learning Bezat Shem Daf Lamed Zayin in Masecha Sukkah. And we start nine lines down on Daf Lamed Zayin. Rabbi Huda is very particular about the materials that we use both for the schach of the sukkah and for the eged, that which binds around the dal meaning, right? Those are things that, um, with regards to the schach, right, he, we brought um, rayas yesterday that Rabbi Huda wants to use only dal meaning for schach. Not really the way that we bring them to shul, but at least from those, right, from those uh, plants. He wants the schach to be made out of those. We brought examples towards the end it was a little bit of a rush job, but what we brought were examples um, that are irrefutable that say that a sukkah can, in fact, be made out of all kinds of different plants. However, the response there was, that's only the walls. I think that's a fascinating alumnus, you know, now that we have the benefit of, uh, of, extra, of uh, being a little calmer, because I think we are going to make it to Lamed Ches today, Bezat Hashem. We can just think a little bit about the fact that how does that work? The sukkah is supposed to be characterized by the schach, right? First Rashi's in Aramasechta, that the sukkah is named so because of the schach. After all, sukkah means covering, schach, enveloping and, and, and covering us. And so it's interesting, right? It's certainly an interesting shot where we said that, Rabbi Huda said that, that those psukim um, those in, in Ezra that talk about Right, bringing all of those alei zayis, alei shemen, and alei hadas, and alei tamarim uh, as the sukkah that that would be referring to the tfanos is interesting indeed because after all, right? Why would it? Uh, why would it be talking about the tfanos if the schach is the main component? That said, in the real physical world, we need to have walls as well, right? So we have to have walls anyways, and so it's not. It's not uh, un- unfathomable, it's just interesting. Then we said that Rabbi Yehuda, we challenged this notion because we said that Rabbi Yehuda, in fact, allows us to make the schach as well out of wooden boards. And so the answer was, and, and the assumption was that that would probably be okay no matter which kind of wooden board you used. So let's say you used walnut, right? So that, that could be, Right, obviously assuming, as we've already discussed, that the width of the wooden boards was not so wide so as to make it gzeras tikra, right? Not so wide to make it puzzle. But assuming it was thin strips of wood, we didn't care, right, which kinds of wood it was. And if that's the case, so then how does Rabbi Huda deal with that? So we said, well, Rabbi Huda is saying that all those Mishnayas and all those sources which say that you're allowed to use wood as schach are referring specifically to the schach of hadas wood. Or, you know, basically it's referring to dal meaning wood, and that's the only kind of wood that, that would be good. That, that's what he would say. Okay. Uh, now, what does this have to do with, with the uh, binding of the tree? Binding, rather, of the dal meaning. Well, again, because Rabbi Yehuda was trying to say that Siv and Ikra de Dikla are types, are considered the same kind of right plant as the Lulav, and that's, that's, where, that's where we're going for, because we wanted to say that even the ivy, right, the Siv, and the trunk of the trees are considered part of the 
min, and that was really how we got into this discussion in the first place, because we said that Rabbi Yehuda, really the discussion in our Mishnah was not the material of the schach, it was the material of the, uh, of the binding, right, the kleitchiklach, it was the material of that which is binding the dal minim together. That material, that was the topic of the Mishnah. The Machlokas was, the Rabbi Yehuda says it has to be, that material too has to be made out of the same material as Dal Minim for fear of otherwise there would be an issue of Baal Tosif. Oh, I should have uh, listened. Rabbi Gross posted, right? He's always posting after, right? He's posting the, uh, we're, we're one of the earliest shiurim in Baltimore. I think there's one or two, a couple earlier than us. Rabbi Silber famously wakes up 10 minutes later than us, which is, which is really embarrassing for him, but, you know, Rabbi Silber Shlita, I'm sure, is up all night dealing with Tzorche Tzibur. Andrew is going to sleep at uh, 2 in the afternoon, so he could wake up at, uh, at 11 in, in the evening to come here. But um, that said, um, right, we talked about, how do I get on to that? Oh, yeah, Rabbi Gross. <laughs> so Rabbi Gross posted the parameters of Baltosif. We mentioned this a little bit yesterday. That was on the chat. Um, you know, it's 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 just fascinating because again, you would you would think that any kind of addition, whether it be in number of of uh, of hadasim or in whatever, how many days you carry the the uh, the dalad minim, or any one of the de- any deviation from what the Torah prescribed or what Chazal prescribed, would be a violation of losasur. Or of Baltosif of Baltigra, and yet um, we see that in some of those instances it's not considered a problem, and yet in the instance of bringing a fifth min, it is considered a problem. So I didn't get a chance to listen to that voice note yet, but I can see where Baltosif, right? Just thinking about it, um, just sort of logically, right? If you added like five hadasim. Um, or if you, let's say, carry the lulav for eight days, while that, I could see why that would be a problem in Baltosif, I could also see why that would be different than having a fifth min. Because having a fifth min is bishas maisa, so to speak. As you're doing the mitzvah, you're characterizing the mitzvah in a different way than how it was supposed to be. Right, you could say that for five hadasim also, but five hadasim, it, it's, it's not quite as explicit that it's ma'akev, right? It's not quite explicit that those three are ma'akev, but when you're taking something that clearly was not asked to do, you really, I could see how that would contaminate, you know, the mitzvah, for lack of a better word, with, with this idea of baltosef. Okay, so that's how we got on to this whole idea of wanting to know how much to expand the binding material of the lulav. So now, once we've already brought that up, we're going to ask a question with regards to... Um, to the schach, okay? Because we brought it up, so since we're already uh, off on this tangent, we're going to continue nine lines down, and we're going to say, does Rabbi Yehuda really hold that you need to use one of the dal minim for schach? As follows, says the Gemara. Umiyama Rabbi Yehuda arba saminin in midi lo. Does Rabbi Yehuda really say that you can only use one of the dal minim as chach, but nothing else, v'hatanya, but we have a b'risa. Now this b'risa is going to be similar to the Mishnah that we quoted from Yadalad, but it's going to have a detail that's going, to tr- that's going to potentially knock out this Rabbi Yehuda as follows. There's a b'risa that says, Sikchav and Nisarim shall erez sheesh bahen arba tfachim. Diver ha'kol psula, 
Right? So it's the same, essentially, as the mission in Yudalit, where it says that if the wooden boards that you use for Shach are more than Arab Tfachim, it's puzzle. But if they're thin strips, they are going to be... Um, if they're thin strips, or mayor is still going to consider anybody marbet tvachim. We discussed in Yudalid, right? He's saying it's got to be more. Uh, the machlokas is between three and four tvachim, okay? Um, but be that as it may, Rabbi Yehuda is machshir in that case. And notice that the brisa there actually specifies the type of wood. That's what makes it different from the Mishnah. The brisa that we quoted said that shel erez. This is from an erez tree. Well, erez is like a cedar wood. And cedar wood is not one of the Dalad Minim. So how could Rabbi Yehuda be machshir, the schach, no matter what size it is, if it's not made out of one of the Dalad Minim? This seems to contradict the idea that Rabbi Yehuda holds that it has to be composed. The schach has to be comprised of one of the Dalad Minim. Just to finish off the b'risa, incidentally, Maidim Rabbi Meir, Umaidim Rabbi Meir, She'im Yeshbein, Right, that's the completion of really what we said in the Mishnah already in Yadala. This idea that if you have equal uh, space width to the board, you you um, you fill it with kosher schach. At the, when we learned it then in Yadala, we talked about was this uh, supposed to imply something about what you do when it's exactly fifty fifty? And we compared it to the mechitzas of Shabbos. Fascinating discussion, but not for now. So. We are left with a question on the table. Rabbi Huda seems to allow cedar wood as schach, but cedar is not one of the dal minim. So how do you reconcile that? The Gemara answers, my eres. Well, when the b'risa says cedar, it means hadas. According to Rabbi Huda, it must be referring to the eres, the wood of the, of the hadasim. How so? There's already been a statement, right? This is um, something, any, anytime you say Amri Bey Rav, something was quoted in Rav's yeshiva, right? It's always referring to, right, Rav Bar Rav Huna. He was, he, was the main, he was the main guy that was publishing out of Rav's yeshiva in those days. This is something that the article quotes from uh, Sanhedrin Yudzain, but as Hashem will get to there at some point. So, Anyway, the statement of the Rav's Yeshiva was that there are 10 different types of Arazim, and one of them is going to be the Hadas, and that opens us up to say that when the Bryce has said Erez, Rabbi Huda is going to say that Bryce was referring to the Hadas. This is what it says. Shanamar, Eten Bamidbar, Erez, Shita, Hadas. What is this? This is a Pasuk from Isaiah, right? All of those trees are mentioned, and um, it's actually the prophecy that when the desert Right, it's a it's a good prophecy that right Eretz Eretz Israel was desolate for thousands of years, two thousand years, but when the kibbutz Goliath takes place and the Jews come back, the desert will start to bloom and flower again, and so certainly that's been uh, the prophecy. Anytime you travel anywhere in Israel, you see and you see blossoming as you do these days and these miraculous days uh, that the Nevi'im spoke of. Um, it is a fulfillment of that prophecy. To quote uh, Rabbi Shalom Goldschlita, in Israel, even an orange wears a yarmulke. Right? Everything is a fulfillment of the prophecy. Um, and so this is, this is uh, certainly uh, one of the, one of the uh, insp- inspirations of living in our day. So anyways, that is the Arazim. So it could be the Hadas. Fine. So now we're up to Rabbi Meir, two dots in the middle of the page. And Rabbi Meir said, Afilu b'Mishicha. 
Reb Meir, in our Mishnah, said you don't need to use one of the minim of, for the binding of the lulav. You could use your thank you Hashem, live strong rubber bracelet, and that would be fine also. So, says the Gemara, Tanya, now, you might recall, when we learned the Mishnah yesterday, Rabbi Meir backed up his shita with a story as well. Rabbi Meir said there, I'm just going to quote from yesterday's Mishnah, So here, we have a brysa that says it slightly differently. Instead of Anshe Yerushalayim, Rabbi Meir says, Maise be'yakire Yerushalayim. That's the same. And then we have this extra thing where, in, in, where the response of the rabbis included um, like a prefix, right? Where they're asking, that's where you bring the proof, but me know how you They would bind it with, with its own kind below. This is Machlokas uh, Rashi Tosfos that we had about what does mean. Uh, Rashi said, Fascinating that they did it l'shem mitzvah, that they did the eagle l'shem mitzvah underneath, and then they would cover. Either way, it's ornamental, right, to have the zahav in front. And so there's two aspects of this. The first aspect is that you're tying and you're doing the eged, and there's some form of mitzvah, which we haven't really, right, fully fleshed out yet, of tying and binding these together. Okay, and whether that mitzvah has to be done with the material of the Dalad Minim or not is, in fact, the subject of our Mishnah. So that's one thing. The other thing is this brysa. So the Gemara is quoting the brysa. It's not 100% clear what these little, right, minor changes uh, add. So one possible thing that it could add is, well, you just look at the two ways that it's different and you could speculate, you know, what the difference is. So... One possible difference is Yakir Yerushalayim versus Anche Yerushalayim, that this was something that only the Yakirim did it. Okay. And so can you bring a proof from, from them? The, if the, as Rashi says, Yakirim were the people who were wealthy. So the people who were wealthy were able to have the, uh, the gold plating, obviously. And so that actually is, makes the Raya of her mayor much weaker to begin with. Because if only the people who can afford it to do it, then you already have a tip-off, right, to the fact that this is not Meikar Adin, right? That, that said, it still allows you to do it. So it's not like a mayor loses his raya from it. It just kind of anticipates already the idea that this is like an ornamental thing uh, that they're doing on top. And that ends up being the answer. The answer ends up being that you could do it. Uh, that you can, in fact, do, uh, put the ornamental uh, gold around it once you have, right, once you have already tied it with its own min, which would be what Rabbi, Rabbi Huda insists on it. So Rabbi Meir can't bring a riot from this. Okay. Uh, what does it mean, misham raya, this, this rhetorical thing? That, that, that could be, that could be um, also possibly a question of whether, whether that would be the evidence, but that's not Pashtas. Rashi po- focuses more on the Yakire versus Anshe Yerushalayim. Now, the Gemara, 15 lines up from the bottom, is now going to address the following issue. All right, Andrew. So, when you tied up the Lulav, so underneath, right, the gold plating, you have a kosher, according to Mayor or according to Behuda, a kosher binding. Yashakach. But now you're holding a what? A gold-plated lulav holder 
that's not made of the same min as the actual lulav or the, any of the dalad minim. And the question there is, is that in fact a chatzitza? After all, we know already that the lakicha has to be a lakicha tama, lakachtem lachem, has to be a pristine kind of grabbing of the lulav. Okay, so we've said lakicha tama should apply to really any kind of uh, a variety of defects in the taking process. One of those would be a chatzitza. Do you have, if you have a min, that's plating, if you have some sort of covering. Like for example, today it's very customary that everybody has their lulav bags. So can you just make the bracha and tilas lulav and just hold up the bag and shake the bag around without even taking out the lulav? So you never see anybody doing that. That would presumably be a chatzitza, right? You need to actually take the species. So the question is, why would you be allowed to grab it at its gold holder? So let's see it inside. Right, once we're on this topic, right, so we're, the Gemara is going to say that there, in, the, in the house of the Reish Galusa, there were people who bound Hoshanos. Okay. When you tie together right, the Hoshanos, you should leave a little base um, yard, leave a little handle, meaning leave a little bit uh, protruding on the bottom. The Hoshanas here is referring basically to the whole Lulav bundle, the whole set. So when you're making the set, let some of the Lulav protrude from the bottom as you're, right, as we're accustomed to doing. Why? So that whatever binding you use should not be a Chatzitza between the Hoshana and your hand. Now, this could be even according to Rabbi Meir, I would say, right? In other words, this binding, right, um, right, you'd have to say, Right, that that the that if the binding was taken out, uh, was made and composed out of the same, right, out of the same uh, material as the actual dalaminim, so then you wouldn't have as much of an issue, right? As, um, and also, uh, it would imply, as Rashi says, yad mitachas egdo Then Rashi adds a second point. Right, that this has to be also according to the Rabbanan, who says that you don't need the Eged, that the Eged isn't part of the mitzvah. So the fascinating idea, right? So again, we're getting not into the guts of why you have to do this binding altogether yet, but if you hold like the Rabbanan that you don't need to have this binding, right? So then according to that, 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 would, that would mean that it's not inherent to the Dalad Minim, if it were inherent to the Dalad Minim, then the Eged itself would not be a Chatzitza. Right? If it were part of the Mitzvah, if you, right, if, if the Eged is part of the Mitzvah, then, interestingly enough, then according to Rabbi Meir, who says that you can even use other materials, then it wouldn't be a Chatzitza either. Right? That's what Rashi's pointing out. That's what the Gemara's pointing out. That, right, that, that the idea is that if the Eged was part of the Mitzvah, and then according to Rabbi Meir holds that you could use any material, then there wouldn't be a chatzitza. Okay. But if the Eged is not part of the mitzvah of taking the Dalad Minim, so then it's possible that even if it were like Rabbi Huda part of the material, that it would be a chatzitza. So therefore it's, it's more dependent on that machlokas and machlokas from Meir Rabbi Huda. But it is a related issue because either way, as we're going to see now, we're going to get into the topic of can you have any chatzitza when you're taking 
the lulav. This could take two forms. I'll say it outside first. One form could be taking, let's say, lulav wrapped in something, right? That, that could be chatzitza. Another form would be to take the lulav, right, directly with contact, however you're wearing gloves, right? Those are two, two examples of how you can have the chatzitza. That's going to play into the continuation of the Gemara here. So says the Gemara. Okay, so, so the, Rabba's opinion uh, was that you need to have direct contact when you take this lulav and you want to have a handle uh, you want to have the lulav sticking out so that you, there's no chatzitza whatsoever. Okay. Rabba, however, Amar, anything that's going to serve to beautify the, right, the lulav and esrog is not considered a chatzitza. Why? Because it's an ornament that what? That's part of the actual mitzvah, right? This is considered like an accessory to the mitzvah. Anything that's going to beautify the mitzvah is going to be part of the mitzvah itself. There's a lumdas here too, right? That if it's part of the mitzvah, right? That if it, even if it's not essential to the mitzvah, if it is beautifying the mitzvah, it's enough, uh, considered part of the mitzvah that you're holding it and you could, and you could say that that is in fact touching the chefza shal mitzvah because it's that which beautifies it. Okay. It sounds, by the way, at this stage, that Rava would, however, concede that if you just took like a dish rag and was not ornamental at all, at least the concept of chatzitza is something that Rava doesn't have an issue with. In other words, Rava does have, meaning it's something that Rava would agree is a problem, is what I'm saying. Rava's not saying that chatzitza is not an issue, that you could, as long as you pick it up, uh, we don't care if you, right, if you pick it up even in, in its lulav bag. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that anything that's ornamental to the lulav doesn't constitute a chatzitza. And so even though we are generally concerned with chatzitza, it does have to be a direct lakicha, the ornament does not, right, ha- pose a problem um, with regards to being a chatzitza. That's the first statement. However, a related halacha um, implies maybe that he doesn't have a problem with chatzitza altogether. Let's see. I'm a rabba, lo linkit ini shoshana besudra. So that's the other case. You should not pick up the dal minim with a scarf. So there we have our source, that you need to have a lakichatama, has to be a complete pristine taking, and that is lacking when you don't have, when you, right, when you have a chatzitza. And to that, Rava disagrees again. So Rava now seems to be saying categorically that there is no such thing as a problem with chatzitza in general. That taking something with something else, right, um, is not a problem. That that still is considered lakicha, right? So if you were, for example, um, going to use whatever, like a, um, a robot arm, right, or any kind of... Uh, a device that grabs, right? And you were to grab the lulav with tongs, right? With salad tongs. That's a lakicha. And so there's no issue. It's still considered lakicha, right? Obviously, gemaras and, and a consideration of chatzitza when it comes to, right, mikvah or something like that, where he has the word basar, that's a different consideration. There you have chatzitza where it says it has to really envelop your, right, your body and it has to cover over the surface area of your body. The issues of chatzitza there make a lot of sense. But you could see how there would be a machlokas where picking something up, right, if you've actually accomplished to pick it up, so why do you, why do you have to have skin to contact on that? Maybe just the only thing that we care about is that the item gets picked up. So that becomes here 
Machlokas Rabba Rava, whether you could pick something up with a sudra. Now, right, where you pick it up with a scarf. Now, Rashi here has an interesting Lolinkot uh, Inish Hashanah Besudra. Rashi points out, Kshinot Lolatzeis Bo, right? When he's picking it up to be Yotze with Alulav, Lo Yikrach Suda Shabain Ksefa of Al Yado, Biachas Baalulav. You shouldn't take, so it's interesting, you shouldn't take the napkin, let's say, or the towel. This is going to be a deep cut 1980s Big East basketball. Uh, college basketball reference. Uh, the George um, uh, John Thompson, the coach of Georgetown, used to have a towel over his shoulder. Very famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Andrew might recall him. So he used to have a towel, white towel over his shoulder. So if you take literally the Suda Shabank Seifav, right, you take it off your, your shoulder and then you pick it up the Lulav up with that. Now why would Rashi say that? Why does he care whether it's coming from your shoulder? So I think what Rashi is saying is, this is not like the wrapping that the lulav came in. This is, you're taking something external to that, and there may be a difference between taking, using your own gloves or your own towel that's over your shoulder and picking it up that way, or the wrapping of the lulav itself. We'll see, we'll see. So again, we have here Rava saying that kolonar also enochotzeitz, but then we have Rava saying that chasitza isn't an issue altogether because it's not a problem of Right, it's not a problem of lakicha, anyways. So, how do you reconcile this? So, let's let's uh, dig into Rava here. I'm a Rava. Mina amina la. The lakicha is the davar acher shema lakicha. How do I know that when it says lakicha ukachtem lachem, it just means that you should manage to pick it up, but we don't care that you have skin contact with your hands picking it up. It's not because we learned in Mishnah in Para the following: Azov katsar nesapko bechut vechush. What is going on here? Okay, so. We've already discussed, in Masechus Yuma in particular, um, a lot of the ceremony, right, of the Paraduma. Though the Ish that burned the Paraduma and the, and the comparisons to, to, uh, to Yom Kippur, awesome stuff, fine. Now we're talking about a different part of the ceremony. We actually have a couple of things that you're doing here. Number one, you're taking your, you're taking your Azov, right, your branches, and you're dipping them in water, and then you're spritzing them. That's one of the things you're doing. And later we're going to talk about the mechatas themselves. The mechatas, I'm not, not saying I'm proud of this, but you know I drink mud water. Do you ever wonder why I'm so alert? I've, I'm all in. It's this heebie-jeebie thing. It's lion's bane and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's wild mushroom mix, whatever. It's supposed to be for energy. I, I, I treat it like shlosel chala. I don't know if it works, but I'm not taking any chances. Anyway, so the... Mud water is, right, the afer paraduma mixed in with the, right, with the water. So that concoction is the mechatas. And then you take the branch, you dip it in the mechatas, and you spritz it. Okay. Now, did this have to be done in the base of mikdash? Apparently not. They used to take this show on the road. Okay. They used, they used to do the mechatas paraduma tour. And when they did so, they would have to transport the water, the, the ash, the hyssop, they, they, they were transferring everything like in, in manageable kind of transportation, right? Um, like to get through TSA, right? They had to have everything in less than three ounces, whatever. And so they used to carry the water in these sort of like reeds, in these tubes. We'll call it like test tubes, so to speak. And they used to carry the bundles of the Azov separately and the ash separately. And then they would go and they'd arrive at whatever town they arrived. They'd unpack and they start... Um, dipping the 
right, the azov into the test tube, into the water, and then, etc. And then, and then they would do the procedure. So what's this case of azov katsar? Fascinating case. So you got your test tube with the mechatas, right? You got to dip the azov into it. And you realize, like, like, a, like a Pringle can, you can't get all the way to the bottom. And the water, right, is only, like, let's say, one quarter full. And the azov is short, azov katsar. So now you're not reaching the water. So what are you going to do? You're going to try to tip it over and dip. You can't do it. You can't do it. Ah, so what's the suggestion? Right, you have to dip it in and it's not reaching to the bottom. It's not reaching the mechatas and it has to be dipped in the mechatas. Says the Mishnah and para, mesapko bechot v'chush. Yeah, just tie a string to it, right, to the end of the azov, right, v'tov elumala, and like lower it down. Now you're not holding the azov at this point, right? You're holding the string, lowering down the azov, and then dip it, tov elumala, then fish it out with the string. Then Then hold the azov and use it to spritz as you normally would. Okay. Says the Gemara, Amai, why are you allowed to do this? After all, the Pasuk says, Wow. In the description of the, para, right, of the Paraduma dipping, right, in the Torah, it says the words Sounds like Lakicha has to be part of the process of the dipping. And yet, we see that you're not holding it with your hands, but you're lowering it down with like a, a fishing line in order to, in order to do it. So this is Rava's Raya that you don't need when you have Lakicha to have actual skin contact with the Azov. We're allowed to fish it down. Oh, that's his Raya. Says the Gemara, Elalav Shmamina, Lakicha, Yedavar, Acher, Shma Lakicha. It has to be, right, that you learn from this, right? Can, right? Is it not true that you would learn from this? That when you can take something, not with your hands, but with something else, it's still considered lakicha. So the Gemara rejects this proof. Says, Mimai, what are you going to base that, base that proof on? Dilma shiny hasam, keva the chabre, kegufe dummy. Aha. That maybe that's different. Why? Because remember, what was the procedure? What did you do? You tied a string to the azov. So when you tied it and you attached it, it's now considered part of the azov itself. This is already not like a napkin covering it or wearing gloves. This has been attached and it's just one big Azov string, right, uh, apparatus. And therefore maybe that's different than holding uh, something with a, with a covering. Okay, so Rava's gonna say, fine, I'll bring you another proof. There's more where that came from. Says Rava Elamehacha. Still within para, same, same tour, just a different part of the, of the tour. Fascinating, fascinating raya here. Nafal mishfoferet le shokes. Okay, now remember, the shokes is is technically means a trough. It doesn't really mean uh, trough. It just that that's how the troughs usually were. They used to carry the mech, they they used to um, mix the afer paraduma into the water, like making coffee on Shabbos. You put the water in first. It's actually how I make mud, mud water also sometimes. You put the water in first, and then you put in the afer, okay? And then you mix it together. I happen to have a hand frother, but it comes with it as part of the package. It's not for now. But I'm sure if they had a hand frother in those days, wouldn't that be amazing for the mechatas? Um, but anyways, so they had a hand froth. They didn't have it, but they used to mix it. So they used to have the water first and then the ashes and then they would mix it together. Now, what happens if the ash falls inadvertently from the, wherever, the, the vial where they have the ashes into the water inadvertently? Puzzle. That's a mission and para. Now, 
That's amazing. Why would it be puzzled? That's how you're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put them together. But the answer is, it was not done intentionally. If it's not done intentionally, it's, it, with intent, it's puzzled. Says the Gemara, ha-hipilo hu kasher. Wait a minute. This implies like this. If you intentionally, so this is the inference that Rava makes. That again, if it happened unintentionally, then that's not, right, that's going to be puzzled because the puzzle specifically says that it has to be intentional. You have to say, you take some of the ashes and put it into the, that's what Rashi's explaining. That you have to take some of the ashes and put it into the water. That it has to be with intent. But what if you intentionally threw the ashes into the tube? Meaning, you didn't hold it with your bare hand, but you took, right, whatever tube you had filled with ash and just kind of dumped it in, okay? Right, like, like just with the can, you go bump, 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 and you dump it in that way, and you're not touching the ash. Sounds like that would be fine. All you need is intent. Says Rava, Amai. Why would that be okay? After all, the Pasuk says that you have to intentionally put the ashes and it uses the word Velakhu. So why can you pour out the can of ash into the water while holding the can? The Pasuk says Velakhu, which normally you would think would apply. You need to have an actual fistful with skin contact with the ashes in order to fulfill Velakhu. Says Rava, Elalav Shmamina. Rather, does this not, after all, teach you that That's where it says, that's This is different than before, because whereas with the Azov, you tied a string, and you could say that that would be the entire apparatus, here, nobody would say that the ash and the container that it's in are one apparatus. You're literally just sprinkling it out of the apparatus, and you see that this is yet considered lakicha. Okay, so once we're on here, three lines down, Lam Zayin Mabez, Rabba, Lola Dutz Inish Lulava Behoshana. So when you, when you put the Dalit medium set together, this you might uh, be familiar with, don't do, put the whole bundle together and then shove the lulav into it because what's going to happen? You're going to knock off all the leaves of the Hadassim and the Ahravos, right? And then what's going to happen? The Dilma Natre Tarfe Vavi Chatzitza. Rabbah is still holding on to this concept of Chatzitza. He says the leaves are going to fall off and then all you're holding is a bunch of, of loose leaves, right? Bound together. They're no longer attached to their stems and the issue is not necessarily that the leaves are a problem because uh, presumably you have enough intact leaves left over in the rest of your Dalaminim set, but in the area where the leaves are loose, you're holding it and they're becoming a chatzitza. So here we see clearly that even though they're the same min, right, it's still considered chatzitza. So I said before, this has a lot, this is what Rashi was saying, this, to do, this has everything to do with the egged, whether the egged is part of the mitzvah or not, has nothing to do with the material per se, right? Chatzitza is chatzitza if it's not part of the mitzvah. Rava does not say that because he brings back the idea that it's the same min. But Rava Almar, Rava is disputing Rava on this point as well. He says, min bimino onach enochotzetz. Right, so that, that exact point that we made before becomes the Machlokas Rav and Rava, where Rava says that as long as it's min bimino, it's not going to be considered a chatzitza. That issue is a totally different issue. There are a lot of applications of this min bimino in a chatzitz, but this is the sukkah's application. There's other, um, in Zvachim and elsewhere, other applications of that concept. Fine. Furthermore, Similarly, when you cut off the bottom of the lulav, this is like you're cutting it off where leaves are already attached to it. We're not talking about where it's only stem, right? Where there's already leaves attached to it. So what's going to happen is those bottom leaves are going to be, right, are going to be separated from the actual, right, stem. 
and the Mishnayri Hutzah v'havi chatzitza, right? They'll remain tied in the bundle, they'll be a chatzitza, and it's the same exact machlok as we just said before, v'ravamar min b'mino e'na chotzah. So said, that's not a chatzitza, because as we said before, that's a min b'mino. Another halacha, eight lines down, v'ravamaraba, hadas shel mitzvah, asa le'ariach bo, esrog shel mitzvah mutar le'ariach bo. Fascinating. So you have your hadasim and you have your esrog. So this is fascinating to tell, to, to enthrall everyone at a kiddush. Uh, and another another uh, fun fact that you're allowed to smell the esrog. You're not allowed to smell the hadas. Why would that be? My taima asks the Gemara. Hadas ki It has to do with what is the typical normal form of hana with hadas that you do not eat, right? The, that which is, it's made for smell, l'reichakai, that which is usr is that which is made for. You're not going to be allowed to smell it because the smelling of the hadas is its main function. And this is what Rashi clearly says is called muktza machmas mitzvah. The muktza machmas mitzvah is something that can actually, this is a fun fact, the kind of muktza that can even be true on cholamoid, right? Could be true not just on Shabbos. Typically, we associate muktzah with Shabbos and Yantiv, but on Cholamoid, Sukkot, you can't use the decorations of Sukkot, you can't use the Dalminim for things other than mitzvah. Because why? It's not respectful to the mitzvah. You're supposed to use it for mitzvah, not for your own anah. Oh. It's called muktzah machmas mitzvah. Fascinating type of muktzah. And the fascinating detail in that halacha of muktzah machmas mitzvah is that muktzah machmas mitzvah is only usher to do, to use for its main purpose. So for example, if you have an esrog, which is le'achilakai, right? You're allowed to smell it because that's not really the main usage of an esrog anyway. And therefore that's incidental. That's not considered primary hana. And that you're, that's not a violation of muktzah machmas mitzvah because that's not the main hana that you would have it for anyway. And therefore, it's, it's allowed. This too, right, bears some, some analysis, right, because Rashi says, right, the Gamina Mitsuka, the Alfina Perakama, we learned already in Daftas, the Chal Shem Shemaim al Atse Sukkah, the Asribana, Kol Shiva, Hol Vuktsun Mitzvah, right? Kol Shiva. So this is what Rashi is spelling out. That even Cholom Oed, right, you're going to have these, this Muktza, and it's true of the Sukkah, and it's true of the Dalminim as well, but again, it's only to use it for what it's normally used for. If you just happen to smell it, smell fragrance, that would be okay. Now, what about Shabbos all through the year? Once we're already on this muktza idea, Amar Hadas Bim Chubar. This is a separate thing. Rashi explains this is the Indian Shabbos Ashana. Can you smell the hadas uh, in general? So if it's on the tree, Mutalar Obviously, if it's off the tree, it's even more Mutalar That's true of the hadas. However, esrog mechubar also la'riachbo, but esrog would only be allowed to smell it if it's off the tree. But if it's on the tree, then you're not allowed to smell it. My time. What's the difference between the hadas and the esrog? Hadas la'riachai. So it's the same distinction we said before. The hadas you want to smell, the esrog you want to eat. So the hadas that you want to smell ishar slay loyas in the migzeg. If we allowed smelling it, you're not going to be tempted to rip it off the tree because anyway, it's more vibrant and it's a better smell. And you say, hey, come, Andrew, come smell this, right? Um, and, and you're going to and you're not going to be tempted to rip it off the tree to show you to to, to have you smell it. However, esrog de la chilakai, the esrog which is typically eaten ishar slay also the migzeg. If we're going to let you smell it, your taste buds are going to be overwhelmed and you're going to be um, tempted to pluck it off, and that's why we don't allow you to smell an esrog on Shabbos when it's on the tree, but we allow you to smell the hadas on 
Shabbos, even when it's on the tree. Of course, both of them are allowed to be smelled when they're off the tree. Okay. The issue here, right, has nothing to do per, with muktzah per se. This is, right, kotzer, a consideration of, it's a gedder of that malacha of kotzer that we don't want you to be plucking anything off the tree, and the halacha is therefore designed. Okay, another halacha of Amarabah, lulav v'yamin v'esrog v'smol. All the lefties out there, myself included, the lulav has to be held in the right hand, the esrog in the small. My timer, what's the reason? Hani hani It's a numbers game. You have three mitzvahs on the lulav, so hold that in your dominant hand. The other one is chad mitzvah. Is this me'akev? Is this not? A whole, a whole hak. Um, the Reinu Hanan is like a das yachid that holds that it is, but everyone else pretty much paskins that it's not me'akev. Okay? My time, I'm loma varchinan el amatilas lulav. Oh, amalei rabimilar zrika. A related discussion. Why do we make the bracha? Why when we make the bracha, we don't say, Asher kisham sasav etzivanu al netilas dalad minim. Or al netilas priyay tzadar kaposta marim and I have like a whole nusach. Why do we just say al-natilas lulav? Says the Gemara. It's a good question indeed. Hoel v'gavoa mikulam. Uzrika says the lulav is the tallest of them. Okay. Says Rami Yirmiya, v'lig b'yala Okay, so lift the esrog higher than the lulav and make a bracha on the esrog. Uzrika answers, amalei hoel v'mino gavoa mikulam. Yeah, but it grows in nature taller than the rest of them and that's why. You know, I can see why Rav Yirmiya would want the Esrog because the Esrog is mentioned first in the Pasuk. So maybe, why is that not more important than what grows higher in nature? And why is the fact that it grows higher in nature of any consequence? Why do we even care about that? So I sent, so Rabbi Gross, as you know, sends out these tires every day. So I said, can we request that you give a satisfying answer to this question? So he said, you can request but that doesn't mean I know the answer. So we'll see today, God willing, whether he has the answer. Let's see, we have five minutes. So let's uh, resume with the Mishnah on Lamed Zayin Amin Says the Mishnah. The Heichan Yuminanin. So now we're already, we got the Dalad Minim. We said the Alantilas Lulav. We're holding it in our hand. We don't have a Chatzitzer, hopefully, even though, even though um, Rava's okay with it. And we are going to shake it. When do we shake it? At what point in Halal? So... Is where we learned it. Behodu la Hashem tchilavasov, right? Hodu la Hashem, the beginning and the end of that of that parak tehillim. Uve ana Hashem hoshiana, as we are used to. Diver beis hillel. That's what beis hillel said. Uve shama omrim af be ana Hashem atzlichana. Ah, they also waved it by ana Hashem atzlichana, which we have not adopted that minhag. And to that, there's a story. I'm a Rabbi Akiva. Sofi aiti berem gamliel Rabbi Shua. I once went to shul, and they were saying halal. Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Shua were in shul. And meaning they were all waving by Ahana Hashem Hatzlichana. That used to be the practice of the shul where I went. But they, right, Rabbi Shun Gamliel, did like Beis Hillel, says Rabbi Kiva. But they, I saw, right, that Hillel was Rabbi Kiva's rabbi, and I saw that they did like my rabbi. So he's protecting that minog, which we uh, has survived till today, that Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Shua did not shake the lulav on Hana Hashem Atzlichana, only by Hana Hashem Hoshiana. Okay. Says the Gemara, Ninu Aman Dachar Shmei. Wait a minute. What, what, we're saying, when do you shake the lulav? The Gemara is asking, hold up. Whoever said anything about shaking a lulav? Like, first tell us that we have to shake a lulav. I didn't, this is the first time hearing of this. 
When do we, so says the Gemara, Hasam Kai. No, we alluded already to the shaking of the Lulav in a fascinating place. The Mishnah, you might recall, we said, what's the minimum shear of the size of a Lulav? So we said three Tvachim, which we said really was four Tvachim, because you need to have an additional Tefach in order. So says the Gemara, we already mentioned this concept of Na'anuim, and therefore when we're saying now, when do we do the Na'anuim, it shouldn't be a shocker to you, like you'd never heard this concept before, because we did already allude to the concept, and therefore now we can ask, when do we in fact do these nanuim? Two minutes left. We will compare these nanuim to the nanuim in Menachos. It's not awesome. We learned the mission of Menachos. Right? And Shavuos, right, you give the Kohen, the Shteh he puts them on top, and he waves them. All right, it continues the Mishnah. You put the the shteyalechem on top of the two kvasim. Maniach yodu tachteim. Place the hands under them. Umenif umoylech umevi milo umoyred. He waves them like this. This is what Hanafa means there. Out, in, up, down. Um, right. Shneimar shehunafa shehuram. Because that's what the pasuk says. Wave it and then raise it up and down. So Amar Biyachon molech umevi lemisha arba ruchos shelo. That it's like this. That you do it to Hashem who's here, there, and everywhere. And you, and you lift and lower down to Hashem to have Shemaim and Arts. This is what we are, in fact, right, demonstrating by waving it in all of these directions that Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Then in Eretz Israel, they did like this. That there's an element of taking out, of kicking out the Kachasatumah. But the up and down motion is to ward off damaging or do, and a conclusion, therefore, that even the residual part of a mitzvah can prevent punishment, meaning even though these not knew him, and the exact procedure is not essential to the mitzvah, the details with which you do it are part of the mitzvah. So we'll stop here because we are starting davening, but it's a Garanowitz Musr moment. May we be zocha to fill all the mitzvahs, bechol prateha vedikdukeha.